Well, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. Proverbs, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. We begin a new series today for about eight weeks. You know, I was trying to think back even in my own experiences in the church. I don't know that I've heard many sermon series through Proverbs or in Proverbs there's probably a lot of reasons for that. One of the reasons is probably the way the book is structured. Uh, if you just look at it kind of quickly, it may seem like it's a lot of disjointed one-liners. It kind of gives some tips for living. But Proverbs is really a gold mine. It is so much more. Proverbs is considered to be wisdom literature. It's found within the context of the wisdom literature in the Bible, and it certainly has a lot to say about wisdom. So I want us to begin this morning by looking at Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7. This is what we read. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray together. Father, as we open this Old Testament book, it is our desire and our prayer that you would grant us wisdom. Would you help us to see that only fools would despise wisdom and instruction, but Lord, that we would come to understand and grow in the pursuit of godly wisdom. So even this morning, Lord, help us to understand what it is and how we gain it that you would be honored and praised, and that we would be strengthened as your people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, life is governed by rules. You have laws in a nation, probably have rules at home, rules in the classroom, codes of conduct at work, and so forth and so on. And rules play an important role in life. Rules are helpful. But there's a lot to life that requires more than a simple rule. Life can be quite complex. And we need something more than a rule book to help us navigate much of what we encounter in life, don't we? So we could say we need wisdom. And that's exactly what we would affirm this morning. We need Rules, they help and certainly guide and, and shape much of life, but there's a lot of life that aren't, that, that, a lot of things in life that's not answered by a simple rule. Do this, don't do that. A lot in life falls in those categories where we, we need much more than a simple rule. We need wisdom, we need insight, we need understanding. 
Well, thankfully, God has not left us to fend for ourselves. He didn't give us just ten rules and say, there you go, and hope things work out for you. He gave us so much more. He's not only shown us in the Bible our need for wisdom, he shows us what it is and how we gain it. In fact, Jesus had a lot to say about wisdom. In fact, it's his conclusion of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this in verse 24, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Then he goes on. He says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Notice what Jesus does there is as he identifies two types of people, those who are wise and those who are foolish, he even defines the gospel, in a sense, as a call to wisdom. Wisdom is indeed a way, the way, in which we find life. As we look at Proverbs chapter 1 this morning, we're going to begin here in verses 1 through 7, and over the next seven weeks after today, we're going to consider some other aspects of Proverbs. There's a lot in this book. We'll never, we would never be able to exhaust it all, and so we're going to do our best in eight weeks to try to hit some highlights in the book of Proverbs. But as we begin this morning, we really begin in an introduction. In fact, some say that, that Proverbs chapter 1 through 9 is the introduction. You think, my introductions are long. First chap- the first nine chapters of this book is really somewhat of an introduction. And what we find in verses 1 through 7 is an introduction to the introduction. So we really begin to set the course of what Proverbs, what they are and how we, how we live in accordance with them and what it does. So Solomon here in this first chapter, in these first seven verses, gives us two important aspects about wisdom that we need to consider as we pursue it. Simply put, we're going to kind of hang our hats this morning on two points. Wisdom explained, what it is, and wisdom gained, how we get it. Wisdom explained and wisdom gained. First six verses, we find an explanation of wisdom. In fact, in verse 1, we have some very descriptive information highlighting both the type of material we're dealing with as well as who wrote it. The Proverbs of Solomon. Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. You may read the book of Proverbs, and as you do, you may find them as nothing more than a random collection of tips and good advice. But we know that the Proverbs are much more than that. Proverbs are divinely inspired sayings that give us insight and practical wisdom for living a godly life. So when you hear the word, the Proverbs of Solomon, this is not just some helpful tips to help you have a more effective life. This is so much more. In Proverbs, wisdom, we know, becomes the dominating theme. Pastor Jonathan Aiken defines wisdom as follows. Wisdom 
is more than a collection of isolated tips on how to make your way through life's difficulties. Rather, it is a collection of teachings that instruct us how to restore the harmony among God's people that was lost in Eden. I think that's an important definition. I want us to stop and consider it for a moment. He says that they are a collection of teachings that instruct us how to restore the harmony among God's people that was lost in Eden. I want you to think back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 for a moment. God created a world with perfect peace and harmony. Perfect peace and harmony between God and man. Perfect peace and harmony between Adam and Eve. Perfect peace and harmony between man and the creation. All was good. In fact, after Adam and Eve were created, it was very good. There was perfection. Sounds like a great place, doesn't it? Well, what happened? Well, we know sin entered the world and fractured all of the peace and harmony. Relationships we know that were perfect. Everything was impacted by the fall. Well, Proverbs, it doesn't overtly talk about how Jesus would come and be the rescuer from all that was broken in this particular book, although there are certainly references to redemption and shadows that, that Christ would ultimately fulfill. It is in the midst of the Old Testament that prepares us for His coming. But even here in the introduction, we have a reference to Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And that says something to us. We know that Solomon wrote well over 3,000 Proverbs, many different songs. He was well-known, very wise and prolific writer. But here we have this, instruct, this, this, this introduction of sorts in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And we know that Solomon was a wise man. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 3, you, you see how Solomon prays for wisdom. God grants him wisdom, and he indeed rules with wisdom. But if you track Solomon's life, he dies as a fool. We like to refer to him as the wisest man that has ever lived besides Jesus. But he dies as a fool. He doesn't persevere in wisdom. And what we know is that what even that sets us up to anticipate is that God would surely provide another king, a better king, a greater king, that would not only be wise he would actually be called the wisdom of God. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, Jesus himself says to the Pharisees, Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. You see, Solomon would rule with wisdom, but he wouldn't last. And there would be a later descendant of David, another son of David, that would come. In fact, he would be the embodiment of wisdom. And he would be the one that would call us to wisdom, as we saw from Matthew chapter 7. 
So as we look at what it means to pursue wisdom, we're going to have to see that it's much more than learning a bunch of practical tips for your best life now. Wisdom is a marker of one who knows true wisdom, and that is a person, and that is a way of life. If you are wise, that means you know the one who is wise, and you live out a life reflective of that one. One way that we could put it is that Proverbs unfolds for us how true citizens of God's kingdom must live. We know that Solomon is writing, in fact, at least 15 times throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon says, hear my son. He's writing to his son to instruct him in the ways of wisdom so to, as to set him up as a good ruler in the future. And when we begin to see how Jesus is ultimately the one who fulfills the rule and reign that God would establish, the true son of David. We can see how then Proverbs really is a call for a way of life for the people of God. This is a call to live as true citizens of God's kingdom. It's a training manual of sorts that equip us for the everlasting kingdom. And as we consider the wisdom that Solomon gives throughout these Proverbs, we find a I think even here in the first few verses, a good list of characteristics that help us understand what they are a little better. So if we're being called to pursue wisdom, what is it? What is it? Well, let's look at what this text says. First of all, we see that wisdom equips us for living. Look at verse 2. He says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. To know wisdom to acknowledge or recognize wisdom. Now, when we hear the word wisdom, we often think about the intellect or the mind, don't we? And most certainly, wisdom involves the mind. It involves the intellect. It involves your understanding of how things are. But wisdom is much more than being smart. There's a lot of highly intelligent fools out there. You can't equate wisdom with intellect only. You can memorize the entire Bible and be a fool. Wisdom equips us for living. What we, when we think about biblical wisdom, one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that wisdom is a practical knowledge. Practical knowledge. Keep those two terms together. A practical knowledge that enables someone to act and speak faithfully in a variety of contexts in a way that brings glory to God. We could also say it this way. Wisdom is the skill of living well to the glory of God. It's a skill. It's a practical knowledge. Wisdom helps you understand how life really works and what life is all about so that you live accordingly. It helps you to read the world accurately so that you know how to go about living in it. Think about that for a moment. Is that something you're able to do? Are you able to look at the world around you and read it accurately? 
Are you able to do that without the help of Fox News and CNN? Delete those from your category right now. Are you able to look at the world around you and understand it accurately? Understand what's going on around you without all the additional commentary that comes our way? Are you able to look at the world through the lens of a biblical worldview and understand what in the world's going on? Do you know the right kinds of questions to ask when you see things happening? Think about football for a minute. A football coach would never lead his team out to play against an opponent just hoping for the best, unless you're the Redskins. No, a wise coach will view film, will draw up a game plan specific to his opponent, lead the team in drills, and puts together a plan that puts the team in the best situation to win. A wise coach knows how to lead his team to play well and to win. But think about how often we live life. What, what, sadly, I think we tend to be much more like the first coach than we care to admit, don't we? We just kind of go into life hoping for the best. We don't think about it. We don't think about how we're going to approach our day. We don't think about what's going on in our family or in our workplace much or, 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 or other than the fact of the things I've got to get done today. We're much more like the first coach. Just going about life, hoping for the best, hoping that things go our way. There's no thought, no plan, just breathing and eating and sleeping. Maybe some praying. Friends, wisdom is something we all need if we're going to live well. Wisdom is something that helps you approach life with understanding of what's going on in the world, asking the right questions, having the right answers, and living out a life that is faithful to God, despite what we encounter and see around us to the contrary. Wisdom equips us for living, and we're going to see how that is the case throughout this series. Number two, wisdom corrects us from error. Notice verse two, to know wisdom and instruction. Now, I'm a big ESV guy, that's what I preach from, but instruction there is probably not the best word really carries the meaning, and it's probably better translated discipline or correction. See, one of the signs of a wise person is that they're willing to recognize that they're not always wise. There will be times, listen, there, there are going to be times, if you consider yourself a wise person, there are going to be times you don't read every situation like it should be. There are going to be times you get things wrong. There are going to be times when things aren't so clear. You're going to make unwise decisions. As a result, there will be many times in life when some kind of correction is needed. Some kind of correction is needed. Some kind of instruction. When we think about this idea of instruction, it's instructing us to correct, to to, have a, uh, to, to be disciplined and, and to, to have some kind of change. You know, when you think about that, to know wisdom and instruction, 
We need, we need a regular environment where that can take place, don't we? Now, one of the things you're seeing here is the assumption that you desire that. A wise person will desire correction, will desire to be instructed and, and will be teachable. And so, therefore, we need a regular environment where that can take place. The word discipline and correction here implies the importance of discipleship-type relationships where you can be instructed with the idea of being corrected when you get off course. I just want you to think about that a minute. I want you to think about the people around you, whether it's family, friends, people around you. Do you have wiser, godlier people around you that can help instruct and correct you when needed? Is that something you have? Or maybe a better question, is that something you desire? Or do you tend to just surround yourself with people that think like you and always kind of agree with you? When was the last time you've been challenged on something? Just in your personal life. Do you have people in your, in your sphere of influence that are able to speak truth into your life and to bring instruction into your life to help you walk faithfully? That is wisdom. Friends, it's a dangerous place to, to be when you remove yourself from those kinds of relationships or you're in relationships and you, and you, you don't take too kindly to instruction. You're not teachable. See, wisdom includes correction. Another characteristic we find in this text is that wisdom helps distinguish between good and evil. See that in verse 3. To receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. You see, Solomon points out here that wisdom is not about your IQ or how high your SAT score was. I know that that matters for a while, but when you get to the end of your life, it's not ultimately going to matter. All the parents just want to throw stuff at me right now. It does matter. But it's not the same thing as wisdom. Wisdom is about having the ability to tell the difference between what's right and what's wrong. Knowing good from evil. Sometimes I think we're led to believe this, this wrong notion that that wisdom or being wise and foolish is not really a matter of right and wrong. It's just more of a matter of what's best and not best. And so to be foolish isn't necessarily wrong. It's just not best. Well, that's not at all what the Bible means. This verse, I think, helps correct that wrong assumption. Being wise and foolish is a matter of righteousness and sin. Again, look back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. I want you to consider that little scene. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the rest is history. To think about what just happened there. In the dialogue between the serpent and the woman, what we see here is that this desire to be wise is equated with knowing good and evil. And there's a lot of theologians that have talked about what was really the first sin in the garden. And there's some debate as to what really, was it pride, was it, was it passivity on Adam's behalf? What was the true first sin? Well, there's a bunch of sins going on in the first sin in the garden. But I think one of the ways that we could also think about it was the fact that as Adam and Eve sought wisdom apart from God, that was part of what resulted in sin and the curse. They were seeking to be wise in their own eyes and not seeking wisdom from God. This is what brought sin into the world. And as a result, we find endless examples of unrighteousness and injustice and inequity in the world today. We see a world wrecked by human sin All because we wanted to be wise, not in God's wisdom, but in our own eyes. We see this surface time and time again, don't we, in in endless examples. Whether it's the fight for the sanctity of human life, attempts to redefine foundational human relationships, or what it means to be created male and female in the image of God. We see it in the realities of racism and oppression. We see it... We, we see it in a world that, that loves to call good evil and evil good. What we, what we see is in the, in the midst of a world wrecked with sin is that good becomes evil and evil becomes good. It's, it's corrupted. It's messed up. And wisdom is what we need to distinguish between what is truly good and righteous and what is truly sinful and foolish. You see, a person who submits to God's wisdom, God's way, understand that it's God who gets to define what is good and evil, not us. And that's exactly why Solomon prayed the way he did. If you were to go back to 1 Kings chapter 3 and hear Solomon's, King Solomon's prayer, he starts out so well. Solomon prays there in verse 9, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. Listen, why? Why is he asking for it? That I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great, this, your great people? And then we're told in verse 10, It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you've asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. See how he connects that to understanding to discern what is right. Wisdom includes the ability to distinguish between what is right and wrong, good and evil. He says, Because you've asked for this, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none shall rise like you after. And then you keep reading that same chapter, and you get to the very last verse. This is what we read in verse 28. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered 
after he goes through this uh, example of de- demonstrating his wisdom with the, with the two women and the child. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice, to distinguish between what was right and wrong, good and evil. See, wisdom does that. It distinguishes between good and evil. And so if we're confusing, when you look around the culture and you wonder, why is the culture so confused over things that are so simple? It's because it's foolish. We need wisdom. And sometimes we get caught up in those kinds of things and we need godly wisdom to make right judgments on what is good versus what is bad. Another characteristic of wisdom in this text is that wisdom establishes for us godly discernment, verse 4. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. You know, many of the Proverbs were written by Solomon to his son, as I said earlier. Trying to establish him in the truths of God's ways so that he can be a righteous ruler and king one day. We know that while it was directed towards his son, there were other people in view as well. You can read throughout the Proverbs and see different audiences, if you will, of who these were written to and why. And here we have, obviously, a reference to the youth, or also we have to the simple. The simple. Who who are the simple? Well, it's the inexperienced and naive, or we could say simple-minded people. Not the same as a fool, because these simple-minded people are teachable unlike the fool. Notice he also highlights youth, those who are young. To give part of wisdom is is, is it gives understanding, gives prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. Solomon is, he's concerned that the simple and the youth gain wisdom because he knows that their minds are easy targets for evil and they're easily influenced. Because this is why priority must be established primarily in the home, secondarily in the church, that we invest faithfully in the next generation, that we pour ourselves for the good of those who are younger, the naive, the inexperienced, the simple-minded, that we give priority in making disciples in, in, in that context of people, not to the negligence of others. We're going to get to that in a minute. Friends, we we must teach our youth to think well and to live well. We need to invest in them and help give them wisdom from the right source. Notice there are three benefits they gain from growing in this wisdom. Prudence. You could also maybe translate that shrewdness. Technically, it means cunning or deceptive, but but here it has a positive element. One's ability to reason and navigate certain problems well. This is what you gain. And you have knowledge. Straightforward. The problem I think that we often face though in life is that there are endless claims on knowledge. At least source of knowledge. But what we need is knowledge from God. That's what the simple need. That's what the youth need. And also discretion. They're gaining prudence, they're gaining knowledge, they're gaining discretion. To, the ability to think, to plan, to devise, to be resourceful. 
imparting the ability to walk the path of life while avoiding the entrapments of sin. So think about that. Think about the youth you know, those who are naive and inexperienced with life. I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm just saying that's, they've just not had the experiences that we, maybe some older people have had, and so that they don't know how to think rightly. So think about those in your life, in your context. Are, are they showing signs of growing in wisdom so that they're able to have discretion, to make proper judgments? Because I think that sometimes we undersell our, our, our younger people and we think that they're not somehow able to, 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 to be given such a large dose of truth. Friends, they, they are. They need wisdom. In fact, if you continue on, we, we see that in, in chapter 2, that this discretion will watch over you in verse 11, delivering you from the way of evil, men of perverted speech, and the forbidden woman. If you read the rest of chapter 2, there's benefits there. And so are we teaching our youth these things? Are we teaching the simple-minded these things? Wisdom establishes godly discernment. We all need discernment. And it leads me to the fifth characteristic. Wisdom is a lifelong pursuit. Notice verse 5. There's a bit of a transition here. He says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Notice he's just referred in verse 4 to the simple, to the inexperienced, to the youth, and now he's talking in verse 5 to the wise. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that the wise, they never arrive, do they? No one graduates from the school of wisdom. you're glorified. Wisdom is not some level or achievement. You we don't hand out badges here that says wisdom. It's not something you, you graduate from or some certificate you get that, okay, I'm a wise person now. Now, you may be a lot wiser than someone else for sure, but you never graduate from that. It's something you'll spend all of life growing in. So you may have been following Jesus for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, or more, and there's still lots of wisdom to be gained. There's a lot of wisdom you should be giving, but there's a lot of wisdom you should be also gaining, even that long of following Jesus. Yet the problem we often face in life is that we grow lazy and complacent and careless. I think this is the challenge that as we continue to follow Jesus and, and grow in his grace that sometimes we just get apathetic, don't we? We get a little careless in our growth, in our pursuit of wisdom, and, and we think that, okay, I've got it kind of enough under my Christian belt to make it. Because we never grow out of wisdom. You, you never get to the point of saying, okay, I've reached a level of my sanctification where I've got enough wisdom to kind of make it through life, and maybe give some pearls of wisdom to some younger people, and my kids or grandkids or whoever that is in your life. I've kind of got enough 
I've got enough. I've got all I need. Friend, you, you, you never stop growing. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. There, there's never going to be a day this side of heaven where you no longer need guidance and you no longer need wisdom. Not a day. So whether you're young, whether you're simple-minded, or whether you're even wise, you need wisdom. You need it. It's a lifelong pursuit. We're going to continue to unpack in the weeks ahead all that wisdom is, and even in some specific ways to apply it. That's a little bit of what wisdom is. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, one understands, obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and saying the words of the wise and their riddles, sometimes they're mysterious. A little bit about what wisdom is, well, how do you get it? I mean, is it a class you take? Do we have an equip class, Jeremy, on Wisdom 101? If you go through the 12 weeks of wisdom, you've got wisdom? I mean, I don't know. If you read through the book of Proverbs twice, I mean, does that count? I don't know. I mean, when do you know you, you, you are gaining wisdom? When, when do you get it? How do you get it? Well, look at verse 7. What we find in verse 7 is really the theme of the book, or the motto, you could say. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Notice verse 7. Notice that it is not an exhortation or command. It is a statement of fact. The beginning of knowledge It's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of knowledge, you could say, what does that mean? It's the foremost and essential element in wisdom. It all begins right there with the fear of the Lord. We could say that the controlling principle of all true knowledge, all true wisdom, is found in a reverent obedience to God. This is where you gain it. This is where you find it. Here's the reality of about every one of us in this room. Every single person in this room and in the world for that matter, your life is either centered upon the Lord or it's not. Your life is either centered upon God or it's centered upon you. Either God is the focus and the center of your life, or you have made yourself that. What we're told here in verse 7 is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. If you're going to be wise, if you're going to gain wisdom, your life must be, must be, there's no, no other way. It must be centered upon God. Jeremiah chapter 9 Verse 23, thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, 
who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. See, the fear of God means we revere Him, we submit to Him. It's not a fear of some, some abusive authority authoritarian in our life. It's a reverential awe of who God is and a willing, a glad, eager, willing submission to him. But it's the fool that despises this wisdom and instruction. Friends, listen, one way that we could put it is that you will not be able to follow the instruction of Proverbs if you are not rightly related to God. I know a lot, I don't know them personally, but I've heard a lot of non-Christians find Proverbs helpful. At least they think. Problem is, is that they don't really get it with the Proverbs. You're not going to be able to follow the instruction of the Proverbs and understand why they're good for your soul if you're not rightly related to God, you're not going to desire to live in accordance with what's laid out for you throughout this book and throughout the whole Bible for that matter, if you're not rightly related to God. You see, just like everywhere else in Scripture, Proverbs presents two pathways we can follow. The way of the wise or the way of the fool. The way that we come to know God is through wisdom. And yet, as a result, we gain wisdom. The prophet Isaiah, in chapter 11, he's he's giving a prophetic vision of the future Messiah. He says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Notice what he says next. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. See, this chapter points to the Messiah as the one who would fear God, and the one who would be filled with the wisdom of God. Indeed, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 through 31 tell us that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Paul writes, inspired by the Spirit in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing, things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And then he says this in verse 30. He, Christ, 
is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and wisdom. Here, hear this. If you check out the rest of this series, hear this. If you think you can somehow gain salvation by keeping the Proverbs, you're going to go to hell. That's not how salvation comes. Salvation comes from understanding that God is the source of our life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom. Jesus is our wisdom. Jesus is our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Salvation comes through Christ, who is the wisdom of God. And when you're rightly related to Christ, the wisdom of God, only then can you rightly understand God's wisdom as he gives it in his word. So do not approach the book of Proverbs like so many Christians try. If I just obey these things like God's law, then God will be pleased with me and maybe I'll make it to heaven. That is not at all the purpose of Proverbs. Rather, Proverbs is describing the way of life for those who already are connected to the wisdom of God and have found their righteousness, not in themselves, but their righteousness has been found in Christ and in Christ alone. You see, the world continues, the world continues to look everywhere but God for wisdom. Wisdom is even portrayed as simply following your own heart. You just need to follow your own heart. But Proverbs 28 verse 26 would tell us, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. See, there are two ways you can go. The way of the wise and the way of the fool. Your pursuit of wisdom is not a matter of simply finding better living. Your pursuit of wisdom or the lack thereof is a matter of life and death. This pursuit of wisdom is, is, you don't think about it as, okay, that's kind of an optional, it's the super extra credit Christian life. It's kind of the, the option that I can kick into if I want to get super spiritual. No, whether or not you're pursuing wisdom means you're either on the pathway to life or death. Proverbs 14 verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Gaining wisdom leads to life. Because it finds its source in Christ, the wisdom of God. And it reshapes our thinking after him. Failing to find wisdom will wreck your life and lead to certain destruction. Friend, know this. That Christ, the wisdom of God, came to give you life. And as he gives you life, he gives you wisdom. And then the Proverbs become a whole new way of thinking and living. Not as an attempt to earn our way to God, but as a joyful way of living out the relationship that God has already given us through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and praise forever. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this introduction to a gold mine of truth we find in Proverbs. Father, would you help us understand 
these truths, Lord, not just so that we can feel better about ourselves, but Lord, that we would understand truly what it is you call us to live, how, how it is you call us to live and what it is you call us to do as your people. Father, the Proverbs are for your people. They're, they're rich, detailed explanations and exhortations and warnings of how you call us to live out lives filled with wisdom. Father, my prayer is that Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, Father, that we would be filled with wisdom, that we would be a church filled with wise people. And Father, that the foolishness of this world would be far removed from us. Father, would you help us to see and to know that our true hope is not in ourselves, but it is in the wisdom of God, the righteousness of Christ. And to be rightly related to you, to have a right fear and reverence of you through Christ is the only pathway to finding true and lasting wisdom for all of eternity. God, would you grant us that, and would you lead us in it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.